0: As China integrates Hong Kong into its further into its kind of economic orbit, Hong Kong is likely to need a new business model. Um, given COVID and travel restrictions being tethered to China is not particularly easy right now. Um, China's regulatory moves have sort of, at least for now, derailed the IPO train that had been so good to Hong Kong in recent uh, in recent times. Um, and it turns out that Donald Trump was not the main impediment to a productive bilateral relationship. So, I love Hong Kong, but I'm sure it will survive long term. But these days, the markets are a bit gloomy.
1: And what's it going to take to turn it around and get the markets moving in the right direction again?
0: Well, uh, one you know, one big boost is if we could get this uh, the COVID restrictions behind us. That would uh, that would provide some immediate help. And other than that, I think it's going to require some time as. Uh, as some of these factors play out a bit.
1: Brock, thank you very much indeed. Good to talk to you. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Cayenne Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. The ASX 200 has lost its gains now down in Australia and its flat Uh, In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up a quarter of a percent. But as we just mentioned, it looks like the Hang Seng is going to be down for the ninth time in the last 10 days. Futures markets pointing to a decline of about three quarters of a percent at the open. Uh, Brent crude oil trading firmer this morning, $83.11 a barrel. Gold is down, though, $1,815 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Back chats coming up in a moment with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast for today appreciably cooler. Mainly cloudy, dry with sunny periods during the day. The maximum temperature is going to be around 22 degrees. And then the outlook mainly fine and dry in the next few days and cool in the morning and at night. 18 degrees right now, 70% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. Jai Gang, the commander of China's
2: three-member Shenzhou-13 mission, started his scheduled spacewalk last night. He was joined by Wang Yaping, who became China's first female astronaut to conduct a spacewalk. Erin Tam reports. This is the first spacewalk performed by the Shenzhou
3: 13 crew. Mr. Jai was joined by fellow astronaut Wang Ping on their six-hour extravehicular activities while astronaut Ye Guangfu assisted the pair from inside the core module. Footage showed Mr. Jai in his spacesuit emerging from the station and waving at the camera. I'm already out of the core module, he said. I'm in good condition. The Shenzhou-13 mission crew launched into space on October the 16th from the Jiuquan Satellite Launch Center and soon entered the Tianhe Module, which is the first and central section of the Tian Gong, or Heavenly Palace, space station. They will spend six months in the station, the nation's longest space mission
2: to date. The pair have safely returned to the space station. Health officials say Hong Kong's latest imported COVID-19 case involves a man who's already been triple jabbed. Andy Shirovsky reports. The 56-year-old patient came to Hong Kong from the United Kingdom on Monday. He had been inoculated with a BioNTech booster on October the 31st, and prior to that, he'd been double-jabbed with AstraZeneca in February and April in the UK. He was found to be carrying the L452R mutant strain. Meanwhile, the Center for Health Protection has said that a Hong Kong man who was said to have COVID-19 after traveling to Singapore last month was not infected after all. Authorities in Singapore said further checks showed it was a false positive result. The center added his close contacts in Hong Kong, who were sent to the quarantine camp earlier, are allowed to leave. The United States will reopen its land and air borders to travellers from much of the world if they're fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The 20-month ban on entry into the USA was imposed by former President Donald Trump in March 2020. It affected non-US citizens in more than 30 countries, including Europe, China, India, Canada and Mexico, preventing family visits, tourism and business trips. Airlines have planned for a huge surge in inbound travelers. Jerome Torman runs the French company JetSet Voyage that specializes in trips to North America. After 18 months of grey skies when
4: we couldn't see the end of the tunnel, today very clearly all our teams have been busy as bees with reservations in the last four weeks, an activity that we'd lost in the last 18 months, and very clearly it's an incredible upturn, it feels good, it feels good.
2: You're listening to the news on RTHK.
3: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On this morning's programme, we're talking about the Lantau Buffaloes after a serious uh, incident in Poyo last week. uh, Three school children were injured and taken to hospital after two Buffaloes ran into a group of primary students on Thursday morning. Police said they'd received a report about the animals charging through the village. Apparently one was trying to chase the other away. The Agriculture, Fisheries and Conservation Department later said it would try to catch and neuter one of the animals involved in the incident and we received a, a later a statement from them saying they had in fact done that. Um, but a conservationist has warned that, uh, that that could lead to greater competition for dominance among other male buffaloes uh, and others have said a loss of Local habitat is causing the animals to stray more into village areas. After 9:15, we're discussing child abuse, with police reporting that cases in Hong Kong have gone up by 66% in the first uh, nine months of the year. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page at Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at Backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 23388 266. Um, We have uh, several guests uh, with us this morning. Um, uh, Just before I introduce them, a couple of uh, uh, traffic announcements that uh, I need to make. Um, First of all, owing to an accident, all lanes of Nathan Road, Salisbury Road bound near Middle Road, are closed to traffic and motorists are advised to use alternative routes uh, such as Jordan Road and Canton Road. And uh, also um, owing to a landslide uh, which happened early on Peak Road. Uh, the following traffic arrangements have been implemented and that is that uh, bus route X15 is uh, strengthened to provide the whole day service at 20 to 30 minute intervals with uh, additional stops between Tyku House and Mount Kellett Road along uh, Peak Road, Uh, no stops at Guildford Road and Mansfield Road and uh, bus route number 15, that's New World First bus route number 15 is uh, truncated to go between uh, the Central Ferry Piers and Wan Chai Gap Road, while its service uh, between Wan Chai Gap Road And uh, the terminal at the peak is temporarily suspended, and members of the public are advised to avoid going to the peak. Okay, um, back to the Lantau buffaloes we have with us. uh, On the phone, uh, Suzanne Gendron, uh, Director of Sage Advice uh, and a conservationist. uh, Also, Dr. David Getting, uh, Founder and Chief Veterinary Officer uh, at uh, Creature Comforts Veterinary Group. And also Ho Loi, a former chairperson of the Lantau Buffalo Association. Um, good morning, everyone. Perhaps uh, Susan uh, Gendron. Can we start with you? Um, h- hello. Good morning. Good morning, morning. morning. Uh, morning. Uh, morning. Susan Gendron. So, w- w- what did you make of this uh, incident uh, in uh, Poyo the other day? Uh, very unfortunate.
5: Especially is that the children were were in the route of where those buffalo were chasing each other and. In my years of living in Lantau, it, I had only seen the, the buffalo, two males charging each other once before, though this time of year, it does it does happen. So I'm glad to know that the children weren't seriously hurt, that they're doing well now, um, and I would just highly caution people at this time of year to pay attention and really watch out for where the buffalo are and keep an eye out so that they can avoid... Uh, when they see them running, they can get out of their way um, because right now that there is a bit of aggression between the males looking for females.
3: Mm. Is that is because it, it's it, it really breeding season?
5: It mm. underpins a, a bigger issue of managing our buffaloes. I I hope that nobody wants us to not have buffaloes on Lantau. I know I certainly know... Uh, want to keep buffaloes? I think they're part of uh, our our heritage. They're they're part of our culture, uh, and I would like to see buffaloes uh, thrive and do well. But we do have a human animal conflict going on, much like conservation issues around the world, such as elephants and people. And nobody wants all the elephants to be eliminated. And so I I look to uh, working with the agriculture fishery and conservation department the local uh people the um community that's also uh involved with the buffalo's gene uh, at the buffalo society and looking to you know. how we can better manage these animals because <clears throat> we can do it you know zoos and aquariums around the world manage herds of buffalo and other hoof stuff like the water buffalo In their facilities to to minimize any of these types of aggressions so and in the wild we have techniques on how we can also manage wild animals so that that minimizes the human animal conflict and I think working together we can find that solution and I'm we started the conversation in one of the council meetings uh, earlier this year and I look forward to continuing those conversations with the council um, in December, uh, when I'm back in the uh, in Hong Kong,
2: do you, do
4: you think we're coming towards a time when we, we just can't have buffaloes in the wild?
5: No, I don't, because there's always a solution, and bringing everyone together that has a stake in this situation, a stakeholder. Being able to work together, we will find a a solution that is win-win for all of us. We don't want to not have buffalo, and we do need to conserve our wetlands, which is part of their habitat, but not just for the buffalo. Uh, We need to save it because it's also where the barking deer and the pangolin and our other indigenous animals live, and the buffalo may be our bigger kind of umbrella species, but there are a number of species that as we fragment and eliminate our wildlands and our wetlands, we're, we're making it much more difficult for the animals that need that space. So, again, I think conserving our, our, our wetlands and looking at a good management plan for our buffaloes by working together and all the stakeholders that we'll find a solution to be able to keep buffalo at a reasonable number that balances and matches the space they have so that we can have buffalo.
4: Now, what, uh, one of them has been neutered by the government uh, department concern. The, the, the presumably the most aggressive male has been neutered now, but that just leaves the way f- for the others, doesn't it?
5: There will be a, a competition immediately this year. And that's why I think it is very important that we work together to find a management plan that we want to make sure that we have good genetic diversity between our animals that are, are still able to breed. We want to make sure that we don't have so many males that are that are in competition in the same space. We want to look at how to better manage uh, the animals so that we do have a stable population that is in harmony with its environment and in harmony with our community and, and these are possible these are conservation issues for so many different animals tigers elephants and uh, for example that we find solutions for these,
3: and we just need to work together to do that. And I believe we can. Okay, uh, David Getting, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? So fine, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, so, what uh, Suzanne was saying just now about male buffaloes looking for females—is uh, that a, a particular sort of um, you know to this time of the year? So, so, is is this the breeding season? Is that why we get uh, you know competition between males?
0: Look, I think there's probably always competition between males in, in any kind of pack hierarchy, but it does get worse at certain times of the year. I mean, reading the AFCD reports about this case, it was actually one of the buffalos who had already been uh, neutered, and the other buffalo uh, has now been neutered as well oh, since, since the time. Uh, and definitely, I agree with what Suzanne said, this is a dominance fight. And two buffalo were essentially having an argument, and unfortunately that spilled over and, and these, these children, you know, terrible story, these children were in the middle of it. The buffalo had no intention of hurting the children. I guess that's what we have to keep, you know, completely in the middle of our mind, which is a horrible accident. Mm. Um, I do think that, and look, you know, you see this in, in I mean, boy, you see this in the, in the village dog populations, you see it in the buffalo populations, you see it in the macaques, you see it in any wild, um, wild herd. You do get dominance hierarchies, and you will have arguments or fights from time to time as one animal becomes more dominant and the other becomes submissive, and they have to they have to argue it out. Mm.
3: So now that the uh, the the other buffalo has been uh, taken away and neutered, a- actually, just um, just uh, is is that neutering or castration, or is it the same thing? Or are we talking about uh, the the chop or the snip?
0: Ah, awesome. a great question, I guess. Um, uh, I, I, I guess I'd probably call it a chop. So it is, mm-hmm. neutering means castration, which means yes. removal of both testes. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of ways with cattle you can do this. And essentially with adult cattle, the only way is to do a surgical castration where
3: the animal is given, obviously, very strong pain relief from sedation and local anesthetics, mm-hmm. and then you do a, a
0: minor procedure that's fairly straightforward and easy. Mm-hmm. Much, much, much more simple to do it on a boy than a girl. Um, but also, much more important because boys are generally the ones who have the, who want to fight to be the top dog, so to speak. Mm. Um, things like vasectomies, where you just, uh, that's, a, that's sort of, I guess, what you might call a snip. Vasectomy is great to stop the animals having babies, but it won't stop the dominance behavior because it doesn't, because the animal still has the
3: testosterone and the hormones, they still want to fight to be the boss. Mm-hmm. So it
0: has to do with mm-hmm. full castration.
3: Mm-hmm. So if there's no uh, dominant male in the area, is that going to mean that the, the others are going to fight it out between themselves to become, you know, the top, not top dog, uh, top, top buffalo? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh,
0: yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I mean, there's always, there is always a hierarchy, but it's slightly, it's, it's less high stakes and less high tension and high aggression when they are de-sexed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you will, you will see this again in, in, in wild dog populations, Places like the SPCA have been wonderful doing some late release programs, reducing the, the number of of entire males walking around. And there's less fights, there's less aggression, there's less problems. And I think that's what you want with the buffalos as well. We certainly, I would completely echo what Suzanne says. I, I don't think in any way getting rid of these things or, or whatever is the right answer. The answer is work out a ways everyone can win. And I, I personally think that's by...
3: Okay. Uh, well, let's bring in Ho Loy as well, the former chairperson of the Lantau Buffalo Association. Hello. Good morning to you. Good right, morning, everybody. The, because um, the the buffaloes uh, on South Lantau, I mean, they 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 are a great. Attraction for many people. I know, uh, like like school parties uh, go there to to Poyo specifically to see them in the wild and what have you. But they're not popular with everybody, are they? Uh, I mean, like villages in the area. Um, are, are you concerned that an incident like this might put pressure on, you know, um, you know conservation efforts to t- uh, take care of the buffaloes, or or, or sort of, um, uh, you know, people who want to have them removed and put somewhere else? Uh, I think.
6: Uh, we all wanted to buffalo to stay on That's for <clears> sure. <throat> um, but incidents like this, it, it's it's a it's a really uh, misfortunate accident happened. But it's not the, the animal fault. It's our human's fault. That because um, two of the main things happened the last few years that make their habitat uh, keep on losing the size. So the competition putting a much more pressure between uh, male animal when during the mating season we we are now doing the mating season until the end of november so the ch- the animal chasing behavior happened every year but in the past we it doesn't appear to us obviously because the habitat size is big enough for them to have space to chase each other so we don't see that very often unless you go inside the habitat to see that even though when we're inside the habitat and seeing the chasing the animal actually are uh, very um, careful. I, I have been in the habitat for so many years, but I never got hit by the buffalo. It's only when they're nervous enough, they're not aware of the space, um, especially when they have no choice, they have to run into the traffic and they were in a panic. So it was a very unfortunate um, accident happened. But we have mm-hmm. to take on what we, we have learned from that. So um I'd like to share some information with the public that because last year it happened to the habitat it's not only by the landlords, it's also our human have taken on the habitat for campsite. It was hundreds of people that taking over almost one third of the habitat for human activity. So the animal get a whole year get used to going into spaces that they are um, not supposed to go and they were not willing to go in the past because the buffalo are very shy animals. They will do everything to avoid human contact. But they have no choice. They were forced to go into main road, uh, or the tropic because their habitat being taken over. And there are also commercial activity or continuous landfill or continuous like uh, uh, land owner swap that the new owner taking over the new land they fence up. The habitat. So, from the last five years, we lost another 30% of the habitat size
3: well uh, that, I mean that's a big habitat loss isn't it uh, so, so I mean uh, you're talking there about the uh, the flatlands uh, in Poyo between the village and the sea or or uh, areas further around because I know the, the, the buffalo are not only there are they they're like 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 uh, along the road and over the hill in in chaplong in in chimawan uh, and uh, and further around uh, there's also there's also a herd in Moi war right so
6: um, have five herds on nantau mm. mm-hmm. five herds um so each area we will have one herd, shima one have one herd, Puyo has two herds, and then uh Chengsha and Po have another herd mm. Puyo has two herds, and the herd that uh, of the incident happened are the most uh is the most important water buffalo herd in hong kong because the impact of the aspect and the structure of the herd that that provide the most complete information for the um, animals analyzing what their behavior and how they move and stuff. So it's the most important herd for us. And in the past, like uh, the two buffalo involved in in this incident, one, (laughs) Madam Jin Ho, named him the Longer King, which has been over 10 years a dominant of this herd. Um, the other one is the younger one. He was the new dominant, new dominant uh, of the herd that took over half of the females uh, three years ago. So they, the the old one called the Lonely King, are uh, very unfortunate because last year he was forced to, he was forced to have the castration because he was heavily damaged. Um, uh, his his uh, his reproduction, the organ was heavily damaged, so he was forced to be frustrated, uh, and that makes him away from the herd that he didn't want to. So now he had to find another wetland for his own um, spot. But he loved the herd so much, so he kept keep on going back to the herd, and the new dominance would chase him on. And that's the case happened very uniquely, happened in this herd. It, it's not a normal... Um, behavior happening in the side but because the habitat situation happened happening in the habitat and um, that makes this story happen more aggressively than all the other situations
4: now i think there's a lot of sympathy uh from what all three of you have said about these uh buffalo on the other mm. hand if i'm a, a villager and my children are being knocked down um i'm going to have some very strong views can we really reconcile the two now?
6: Uh, we, we, always, we, we have been the last six years um, sharing information to the public, and um, people living on land out there are aware of the animal, but accident will accident. It doesn't matter what we do. If accident happened, it was going to be happening. So um, we just need to look out because they are part of the community and part of our environment. Like the traffic in in the road, the cars always on the road. We have to look where we're going, um, be careful and be aware of it. And we have to learn how to live with them because they are part of the world, part of our environment. We humans have to learn how to live with the environment. And we also take our responsibility to protect their right to be consistent. Um, having good management of the wetland is one major issue. Um, Land of Buffalo Association had already submitted a, a proposal to the government seven years ago to ask the government to resume the habitat, so to prevent um, the land loss uh, to the habitat. But the government didn't do anything. government did not provide any funding for Buffalo management for like, professional people to do on um, managing the herd or managing the habitat. So this is something we, we have to take on our responsibilities to start with. We continue to abuse the environment, continue to abuse um, the wetland. We're going to lose the animal one day, right. but this is not what we want, right? Because they, they give the environment um, resources for us to have out, continue to be land out.
4: What about suggestions to relocate all the buffaloes on an outlying island somewhere?
6: Um, it's not going to work. We, we already have a system case that relocation is not um, a method to resolve the problem, because um, buffalo is is a wetland species. They cannot live on the dry land. They only live on um, water, water area along the waterline or swamp. That's not enough swamp in the whole Hong Kong for thick enough for a herd like Poyo or. Or, to allow the animal to have enough space to uh, have their residency. And mm. um, also, for the herd management, um, every animal are very attached to their habitat. If you force relocation to the animal, it's going to cause them depression for the transfer. So, we cannot afford to uh, have a team to help them for the relocation practice because it's going to take over a year, two years. To settle a herd in a new environment. We already, um, experimented in the past for a small scale relocation, which proved that it, it's not going to work. So, um, relocation is not a solution because it's going to cause more impact to other people that did not have the buffalo before and they have to cope with it. So that's not fair for people that here who have to, um, uh, who have to take on the animals that they did not have the experience. So I think we, you know, from all this year, we propose uh, preserve the species in the situ is the best way. We have to learn how to do our um, environment management, conservation management, which unfortunately, our government did not have the right uh, view or right version uh, re- work the mission that worked with People that who have mm. been mm. dealing with the animal for so many
3: years. Okay. This is um, another misfortune. We yeah yeah. We should point out that we did invite the uh, AFCD Agriculture Fisheries and Conservation Department to uh, uh, come onto the program. Um, they couldn't send anybody. They, they did give us a statement, um, just uh, updating uh, what they'd done about um, capturing the uh, other buffalo and taking it away to the uh, Tarkuling um, Operation Centre. Um, but we should. Um, We should, uh, of course, point out that these uh, creatures uh, are uh, generally uh, very docile, uh, which is just as well because uh, adult buffaloes can weigh almost a ton. I think, Um, and for listeners who are not aware, these are the these are the very large, uh, grey coloured. Uh, uh, bovines with and they've got very big horns Um, you you meet one coming down the trail towards you you kind of step aside and let it pass you let let uh, him go first (laughs) yes, yes, exactly but um, um, Suzanne uh, uh, Gendron so the buffaloes they they were originally domesticated uh, animals weren't they? they were when Hmm.
5: Lantau was a big rice growing area these water buffaloes were integral to the rice growing industry and when the rice growing industry, you know, phased out, they uh, the owners let the buffalo go. So they are feral buffalo. But I do uh, do agree with with uh, Ahoylo and Doctor. Really, there are solutions. Uh, it's very unfortunate about the children this time, and and I can just ask and caution people in Puyo, Moiwo, and and on South Lantau to just be very aware of where Buffalo are at this time of year because there is that aggression. But there's they are part of our community. They're part of our ecosystem now and we don't want to lose that part of our ecosystem and we need to manage and save our wetlands because they there are many other species that use that wetlands that we don't want to lose in in hong kong we have a really good biodiversity in hong kong and we need to preserve it
3: okay, so, okay. and that means preserving great we'll, we'll have to pause it there uh, just uh, for a moment because we're going to break for the news summary at nine o'clock uh, we'll be back at three minutes past um, um just before that a quick look at the weather uh, it's going to be appreciably cooler dry with sunny periods uh, top temperature around 22 degrees fresh northerly winds uh, the outlook, at mainly fine and dry in the next few days and cool in the morning, mornings and at night. Currently, it's 19 degrees, humidity
2: 66%. The pair have completed their spacewalk and safely returned to the space station. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
3: And welcome back to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning uh, we're talking about the uh, buffaloes uh, on Lantau Island following that uh, incident last week where uh, three uh, schoolchildren were injured. Uh, fortunately, not seriously, after uh, a couple of uh, buffaloes uh, ran through uh, Poyo Village. Um, and so we're talking about a uh, conservation of their habitat and uh, and how to manage the uh, buffalo herds uh, and so uh, so that uh, everything can be handled uh, safely and um, do get in touch uh, you can uh, leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or if you want to, you can give us a call on 233-88-266. Uh, one email here from uh, Mark says uh, water buffaloes are not native to Hong Kong. They were imported in the early, early 20th century for ploughing rice fields in coastal areas. They are not uh, indigenous to Hong Kong. Um, uh, uh, David Getting, um, so if the buffalo are not indigenous to Hong Kong, I mean, does that lessen their, their value as a species uh, to be conserved?
0: I, th- I think that's a deeply ethical question. I'd say that all animals have a right to live, but I can understand that some people might say a truly native animal has more right to the land than an introduced animal. Some people might also counter and say humans are being an introduced species in Hong Kong as well. I'm not sure <laughs> any of us want to leave any time soon. Um, look, I, I guess there, there's an interesting sort of point that comes up here, though, Putting that aside, um, you know, I, I heard Ho uh, talk about the, the wetlands and the, the area and so forth and conservation. Yeah. The other side of this problem, though, is the populations of, of what do you call them, sort of introduced species and, and things like macaques and wild boars and cattle and buffaloes. The AFCD numbers show they're increasing at about 7 to 15% year on year. So these populations are growing in size, in some cases quite rapidly um and i guess you have to look at both sides of the coin here number one is is habitat preservation but it's also preservation of population numbers and not letting the numbers of the population right. get so large the habitat can't handle
4: them i'm glad you brought in the subject of wild boars because it's it, it, I, I saw one last night in in robinson road um, uh, in mid levels
0: I, I went for a jog yesterday morning and there was one just quietly walking down the road not a care in the world so i don't you say they're becoming much more much more
4: confident, let's say. Yes, and a lady, I think, was on the peak a couple of weeks ago, was badly injured uh, by yeah, one as well. But it,
0: the, the reports in the paper said that she was actually feeding the, the wild cats some cat food, and the boar was sort of... Uh, the boar wanted some of the cat food, and she refused to give it to him, which uh, I'm not saying anyone's to blame, but I'm saying there's probably two sides to that story as well about what happened there. But,
4: but generally, we've got animals rubbing up against... Uh, humans uh, in increasing numbers?
0: Well, if you look at something like the wild boar, um, I mean, they, they really have no native or natural predators in this environment. And they have a great food source with all of the rubbish left around. Uh, so, you know, there's, the population is going to grow with really no, no barriers and no, no parameters to, to hold them back. Um, and that's why I think we need some form of... Animal management, and I will say, you know, honestly, I think the AFCD is trying to do a good job with this. You know, they have done they have done studies about using vaccination to, to chemically neuter animals and hold off from breeding, and they're they're working on it. So it's not like they're, they're sitting on their hands totally.
4: Well, but I remember this correspondence from many many years ago. We we're talking about uh, birth control for the macaques.
0: Yeah, so they did, they did actually a uh, study using. Uh, 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 basically, a vaccination, which is a very, very clever vaccination, which stops the egg of the the mother being fertilized, um, and that worked really, really well. I think they had sort of ninety percent success rates. And I'm not sure what happened as far as the actual implementation and why it didn't get continued, but I know that at the time, apparently, one of the big problems they faced, the cats are rather clever, and they sort of they actually figured out who the AFCD the officers and vans were, and all scooted away every time the officers came to try and catch them. So I mean, that, that's the other problem with wild boar or macaques or buffaloes or cattle or any of these sort of semi-domestic semi-semi-fair animals is how do you actually catch them to implement this, this spay and neuter release program
3: mm-hmm.
5: um, can i add something about the wild boar
3: yeah go ahead please
5: and the macaques mm-hmm. um ocean park conservation foundation has been working very closely with afcd uh for at least 10 years on the macaques and they've uh been working with the macaques and that they Every day they feed them in a in a cage, and then once a week they would go and take and um, surgically uh, anesthetize them, and surgically neuter them, and then release them then again. So the numbers on the macaques have been reduced quite a bit in the um, one of the parks in uh, the new territories that they've been focused on, and they're starting to look at other areas too. So the uh, management of that. Group of animals has been well managed by um, Ocean Park Conservation Foundation Hong Kong and the AFCD. That build, uh, building on that success, Ocean Park Conservation Foundation also began working about five years ago on the wild boar and. While wild boar, different than the physical neutering, they have been, as, as mentioned by our vet here, Dr. Dave, that they've been uh, chemically neutering them. So we are seeing a significant reduction in the number of animals uh, because the, the people are feeding them. And I have to truly, truly stress, we as Hong Kong population cannot feed wild animals and we're seeing people feed the buffalo in public spaces near car parks the buffaloes have grass to feed um there is times when they get supplemented but they get supplemented far away from where human populations are to avoid that human conflict so do not feed them where and nobody should feed them. I think Jean Long is the, the uh, is the only one that is um, allowed to, to feed them at certain times of the year. Um, so do not feed uh, wild animals. Do not feed wild boar. They were they're still fed, and so their population numbers exploded when we started feeding them, and they started going into trash and such. So we need to really look at stop feeding wild animals. Mm -hmm. AFCD has a campaign. I know they've worked with Ocean Park Conservation Foundation, World Wildlife Fund to try to stop and educate people to please, please do not feed wild animals. They're keeping their population in balance with the food that's available is an important part of, of nature.
1: And us
5: feeding them, human food or leftover food or grasses or whatever is is really not the right approach. So, I, I again, I will one more time just repeat it for emphasis. The public should never feed wild animals.
4: We seem to be some way away though from a proper uh, management policy, um, population policy.
0: There, There's quite a lot of work to do I, still. Uh, I mean, I think they're, they're trying. I think AFCD is working, at so Ocean park on this. But I, I would agree with Mike, mm. you know, the, the the wild boar around where I live certainly seem to have exploded in numbers in the last couple of years, um, and unfortunately not causing any trouble to anyone, except for, you know, the horrible you see occasionally one on the road who's been hit by a car. Um, but as those numbers get bigger and the food sources get reduced, or there's more competition, they will be forced to come, you know, come get more and more confident and, and, and come onto sort of people's houses and, and, and start out sort of well, scrounging for food.
4: And on MTR trains too.
0: <laughs> and
3: and mm-hmm. even sometimes in, in yeah. in, 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 in the, in the, the States, bank China. Old. Yeah. Uh, uh, another Buffalo at uh, uh, <laughs> um t- Email here from Richard says uh, wetlands are of uh, major importance for carbon storage. Uh, Mangroves and salt marshes are among the most effective natural carbon capture systems. Buffalo are important contributors to the maintenance of these ecosystems, ensuring they remain rich ecosystems for other animals, birds, amphibians and reptiles, as well as insects. These desperately need protection. Most Lantau residents are familiar with the buffalo and treat them with respect. Castration isn't an ideal solution as it will further disrupt the herd hierarchy. My experience is that they mind their own business but will protect their young if they feel threatened. Humans just need to give them the space they deserve. Is it, um, uh, Suzanne Gendron, uh, uh, in terms of the buffalo's uh, habitat, uh, which uh, Holoy was talking about uh, before the break, um, is enough being done to protect that? I think we need to...
5: To strengthen it still, because I I live in Chaplong, uh, and I did see quite a big swath of of land cleared, and it no longer has that ability to have the, the water that they they would use. And we're seeing the encroachment in Puyo near the beach, where there's now glamping and camping. And again, these are important areas not especially for animals, but also for us because these are the, our protection when we have typhoons and we have strong winds and waters. This is our buffer zone. So we're not doing ourselves any favor when we start to encroach on the wetlands, which is so important as an ecosystem. And the buffaloes maintain that ecosystem, maintaining the uh, digging, the water water, the movement of the dirt, so that it keeps um, healthy. Um, but these wetlands are are an important part of our own ecology for our villages and for our our townships like Puyo, Moiwo. And we don't want to lose them.
4: These are not, you know, there's a, there's a broader argument, isn't there? These are not native to Hong Kong. So presumably the wetlands were going on. Uh, before
0: the, there were buffalo. Look, I, I think I take up I think what Susan was saying before, that these wetlands are, are important to buffalo shore, but there's also an awful lot of other species that are absolutely right. critical, that we don't see as... They're, they're not quite so big and in your face, so you don't see them, but there's a huge amount of biodiversity in Hong Kong that, that honestly is threatened. Um, and, and I think, again, Suzanne was saying it's about win-win. You know, I, I don't think anyone would expect all of land to be... Be marked off as a green zone, and I don't think anyone expects expect all of that to be developed. We have to find a balance, and and that is a very, very simple right. thing, but it's a balance with management of the animal communities, and also balance of management of the human communities, and that's that's, that's not something that's hard to do, well, sorry, not something that's impossible to do, if good minds are put to it. Right.
5: right. Yeah. And just to add on to that very, very quickly, is that while the buffalo have been introduced, They've been here quite a long time and have become part of the our natural ecosystem. And remember how many animals we've lost because of our impact on our ecosystem. So there is this again this balance. They have taken a niche that is no longer the local animal that we've extirpated is no longer taking. So it it truly we truly cannot we cannot uh, lose our wetlands and. The buffalo are integral part of those at this point, and we, like Dave said, we can find a win-win solution working together with buffalo experts, with AFCD, with our indigenous population of, of local villagers, with all of these expertise is working together. I know we can find a solution that addresses the concerns of the locals but also allows the buffalo to remain and thrive on. uh, And I don't mean, I mean, I think there's 130 now. We keep them at about 120 to 130 to allow them to maintain that population so that we do have them in perpetuity.
3: Mm. Okay, well, we've been talking mostly about buffaloes, but of course, uh, also on uh, Land Tower you have the the feral cattle, uh, which are also are present in other parts of Hong Kong as well, in the Sai Kung area and around the the sort of Tai Mo Shan the hills in the middle. Um, um, uh, how about how about the management of those the the herds of feral cattle, which which do tend to or seem to wander around quite a lot more than the buffalo do? Is there is there sort of um, uh, are you uh, happy with the way that they are managed and looked after, or, or, you know, or, or, or not, or just left to do their own thing?
0: From, from my side, as someone who hikes through those country parks on a, mm. on a very, very regular basis, they are actively managed. they mm. it seems that they uh, have I mean, many of them are tagged. I've seen them when they've had wounds or injuries, that have been treated. Um, There's also a very, very active... Uh, community organisation here which helps look after them, which is just amazing and what they'll do. You know, if, if, if there are animals on the road, there'll be an alert out on Facebook and, and members of the community will come and try and help get those animals off the road. And, you know, I think it's what what has been said already. It, it's it's about being... The humans also have to be a little bit sensible, and if you do see, say, wild cattle on the road, don't drive like a maniac, you know, in the middle of the... Or dusk and dawn times when cattle will likely be out if you're on the back roads of cycling And if you see... If you see cattle when you're out of hiking, don't try and go up to them pat them. Observe them from a distance, enjoy them, but let them do their own thing.
3: Oh.
0: Um, and then it seems like the relationship is mm. quite harmonious.
3: Mm. 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 Suzanne?
0: Yeah. And I
5: think that the difference between the buffalo and the cattle is the cattle move up high into the hills of Lantau. And so they're not constantly um, down in the lowlands, which is where many of our villages are. So you're seeing. That's why you're seeing a little bit more human buffalo interactions than you see the
1: cattle interactions.
5: They do tend to move, but as and when we lose habitat um, in in any of the upper regions, you're we'll, we will see more conflict. So we need to protect our our country parks so that our our cattle have their habitat to live in, also. Mm-hmm.
3: Great. Okay. Well, thank you both uh, very much for joining us uh, on the program this morning. Uh, that was uh, Suzanne uh, Gendron, who you heard there, who's a conservationist and uh, director of uh, Sage Advice, and also Dr. David Getting, uh, founder and chief veterinary officer with uh, Creature Comforts uh, Veterinary Group. Um, and thank you uh, also to uh, Holoy, who we heard before nine o'clock former chairperson of the Lantau Buffalo Association. And um, for the last uh, 10 minutes of uh, this morning's uh, programme, we're going to be uh, looking um, at uh, an issue which we've uh, talked about uh, a number of times uh, on this uh, programme before. And, uh, and in, in our news, sadly, something that's never really uh, that far from uh, the news seems to be, um, and that is uh, the issue of child abuse, because... Uh, um, It seems that uh, the cases of child abuse in the first nine months of this year um, were up by nearly 66% on the same period uh, last year. Uh, those figures uh, from the police and, uh, and and the police force have now developed a, a web app to protect uh, children and uh, teach them how to seek uh, help through the internet um, we're joined uh, on the line for this part of the program by uh, carol zito who's uh, ceo of uh, save the children hong kong uh, good morning to you Good morning so um, what's your reaction to these uh, figures and what do you to what do you attribute the uh, the increase in the number of cases
7: um, I also uh, I saw the, the data on, on the news and uh, to see that the number of child cases in Hong Kong you know uh, up uh, over 60 percent in the first nine months of course is extremely worrying uh, as a child focused organization save children is all about child protection. Um, So it's um, uh, very worrying to see these uh, trends. Um, You you asked about the the causes of of this increase. I think there are a couple of things uh, happening, of course, um, with the societal changes that are brought on in the last couple of years uh, with the pandemic, with the social and political environment, and most importantly, with the declining economy. The economy and people losing jobs is really putting a lot of stress in the households, in the family, so with COVID, you know uh, families are spending more time at home, and of course, then when they, they spend the time at home, and there are the conflicts that happen, and if parents are not able to control their emotion, then they take it out on the children. Um, so I think, you know, uh, then now we see the number of uh, child abuse cases uh, increasing. Uh, the other point I want to make is that if you look at the the, the social welfare department's data. Uh, over two-thirds of the perpetrators are parents and then you also have other kind of carers Uh, unfortunately you also see 10% of the child abuse coming from uh, schoolmates from children themselves uh, from their friends and peers and that's what the data says Uh, and so we shouldn't you know ignore the fact that you know sometimes we when we hear about bullying in school Uh, children hurting one another physically and also emotionally, that is also a form of abuse and violence.
4: Given that the situation is rather complex, um, because you've talked about unemployment um, and the pandemic, I, I guess the solutions are also multifaceted. What do you think would be most effective?
7: Yeah, it, it is because we talk about physical harm to, to children and also psychological harm to children. Um, for the physical harm, I think the, the government, you know, with the social welfare system, they have a well-planned, multi, multidisciplinary approach uh, to uh, investigating child abuse cases and then uh, cross-sectors working together to, you know, for counseling and treatment of the children. Uh, as you may be aware, uh, the chief executive announced uh, a new legislative proposal uh, to provide mandatory reporting and introducing this in the, uh, and introducing this relevant bill in the next uh, legislative term. So, you know, anyone that works with you know closely with children, the failure to report child abuse it uh, um, uh, becomes illegal so I think this is, is a very good step forward also and this is something that our organization has been advocating for
4: mm-hmm. isn't that rather a tricky area though people are reluctant to interfere in other in other families business
7: yes very much so and unfortunately that is the case uh, we talked to many children and in fact a couple of months ago we released a, a report Uh, A research uh, called young voices and we know that you know the violence takes place at home in school and other settings but children children themselves are reluctant to say anything or even approach the teachers or social workers and many uh, uh, teachers and and you know uh, and maybe social workers sometimes may not say because they think will cause more harm to the children but unfortunately this has to stop and this practice has to change um, you were aware, you know, how a year ago, uh, the, the five-year-old girl whose parents got life sentenced, uh, the girl died, and it creates a lot of anger in our community. Mm. Um, and everyone knew that, everyone has seen that kid. Uh, you know, uh, Kara's family members, teachers, they have noticed something, but unfortunately no one reported. So this kind of tragedy takes place because people are afraid to report. And so this is something that is really important for us to address and fix.
4: Mm. You're going to get the balance right, though, don't we? I mean, if I hear a child crying in the block of flats uh, where I live, uh, mm. what am I supposed to do? Uh, uh,
7: yes, I think it's, it's important to be able to differentiate uh, what this, you know, uh, uh, you know, like you said, uh, child crying, Uh, versus genuine child abuse. So when I think about this uh, mandatory reporting uh, 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 mechanism coming out, I think it's important, once it gets, you know, written into the bill, it is important for people to be trained and educated to actually identify what is a genuine child abuse case. Uh, I can foresee that maybe the system will be overloaded at the beginning if people don't know how to identify because there will be a lot of more Uh, workload involved, everyone will be reporting, and then there's a lot more investigative work to, you know, verify whether the cases are genuine or not. So I think the education is very important too, to complement that bill coming out.
4: Right, because we could could swing from under-reporting to over-reporting, couldn't we?
7: Yeah, yeah, and that is the danger, and that is the concern, yeah.
3: Um, So this app that the police have developed, uh, it's sort of uh, um, in three sections, uh, one for children, one for teenagers, one for adults, with uh, advice for for each group. Um, um, uh, How useful do you think that's going to be? Uh, I have seen the website. I think it's a
7: good... Forward for the government to develop this uh, child protection uh, uh, website. There are some tools out there for children of different ages and also for adults. Uh, so we are glad to see the authority putting these kind of resources in place because it's important to raise awareness and and do public education on these issues. Um, um, in the research report I mentioned before that we released, um, we surveyed over a thousand children, uh, twelve or youth. 12 to 17 years old, and one out of five told us that they didn't know where to seek help when they needed it, whether it's for family issues or mental health support or facing any kind of violence or, or abuse. And we know that uh, also uh, a lot of children actually, uh, the survey also showed that you know almost half of the respondents have said that they are always worried about getting punished by their parents. So they just didn't know where to seek help. So having this website or app is useful but it's only one thing Um, I'm glad to see the authority doing that and like I mentioned before you know when the mandatory reporting takes place you know any professionals any people that interact a lot with children uh, need to you know know how to report and how to differentiate the different cases Uh, as an NGO we are very active in uh, teaching for example positive parenting there are many other NGOs also do child protection type of uh, programs. So we teach parents how to use non-violent communication with their children and also how to manage their own stress because self-care is actually very important. When the parents cannot control their emotions, uh, that's when the abuse and violence takes place. So to protect our children, it's really a responsibility of everyone. Um, so we all play a role, and that's the important point to remember. Of
4: course, making a report does affect future relationships, doesn't it?
7: It does, it does. So the system has to, to you, know, have, you know, have to be in, in place that, you know, when a child, when, when someone reports a child abuse case, the proper investigation takes place and that, you know, the, the consequences, you know, whether... You know, uh, uh, um, uh, well, I mean, it all depends on the investigation, uh, uh, what happens, and then how you you can counsel the parents. Uh, we have seen many cases, also. You know, there's they, counselling, there's treatment that you know can be offered to, to the parents to make sure this doesn't happen to, again in the future for mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the children.
3: Mm-hmm. And just, uh, just finally, what, what what sort of advice do you give to parents on how to reduce their stress levels?
7: Sometimes when, when, you know, I go observe our classes, I do feel uh, very bad for the parents themselves also. We work with a lot of underprivileged children and vulnerable families. Uh, sometimes it's quick for someone to judge and just say, oh, how bad parenting, how, how dare you say these things to the kids. And then you, you, see the, you see them experiencing financial hardship and how stressed they are. So my advice to them is take care of themselves as well. The self-care, many people will, you know, will forget. Um, many pe- uh, parents, when you know, they yell at the kids or, or hit the kids, it's not that they want to. They just want the best for their children. They want them to do well. They get mad because their children may be falling behind in school. Uh, but it's controlling their emotions. And it's learning different types of techniques to relieve your own stress. And that's the best advice I can give to the parents, that they also need to take care of
3: themselves. <laughs> OK, well, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Carol Sito, the CEO of uh, Save the Children Hong Kong. Um, and thank you to our listeners and uh, thank you to uh, people who emailed in. And thanks very much to you, Mike, as always. L- last <laughs> one for a while. Oh, right. <laughs> OK, OK, Mike may be uh, taking a, a, a break for a little while. Um, uh, good. Um, let's have a look at the weather before we go to uh, the new summary and morning brew um, appreciably cooler as we know uh, dry with sunny periods uh, top temperature today will be around twenty two degrees fresh northerly winds strong offshore and on high ground. the outlook mainly fine and dry in the next few days and cool in the morning and at night. The temperature difference between day and night will be relatively large it 's currently nineteen degrees humidity sixty seven percent do you want to enjoy a
4: hassle-free retirement? You can enjoy a lifelong guaranteed monthly income with the HKMC annuity plan. After a successful application, you can receive the monthly income by the following month at the earliest. Call 2512-500 now to learn more or make an appointment. The plan is subject to
3: terms and conditions. The news summary with Vicky Wong.
7: Oxfam Hong Kong says the SAR's climate action plan will do little to help the poor adapt to climate change. It says street cleaners and tenants of subdivided flats suffer from intense heat, with the latter having to deal with temperatures around 5.8 degrees hotter than outside. Jaijigang, the commander of China's three-member Shenzhou-13 mission, started his scheduled spacewalk last night. He was joined by Wang Yaping, who became the first Chinese woman to join a spacewalk. And the United States will reopen its land and air borders to travelers from much of the world if they are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The 20-month ban on entry into the USA was imposed by former U.S. President Donald Trump in March 2020. It affected non-U.S. citizens in more than 30 countries, including China, India, Canada, Canada and European nations. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil
1: Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello,
8: Phil. How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. You need to be up sporting. Hello. You never face chat with me, Phil? Good morning. He's got the and Jerry type vibe, it's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing.
7: On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew.
8: morning. Welcome to a new week here on Morning Brew. Great to be back with you. Robbie McRobbie returns to his comfort zone of 10.10 today for this week's rugby news. 10.40, New York correspondent Tracy Kwan will be with us for her weekly news and comment from Manahata. At 11.40 today, I'm going to welcome back after several years renowned composer Fung Lam. He is the first Hong Kong composer to be commissioned by the BBC, the UK... And his orchestral work, Endless Forms, premiered at the BBC Proms in 2012. Today, he wants to invite you to enjoy Yet Another Dream. It's a new multimedia piece. It's going to feature in this year's Jockey Club New Arts Power Festival. Music on goes on after 12. A British pianist and multiple gold medal winning of several important piano competitions, Alexander Ullman, will be with us. He's performing a recital of some absolute piano masterpieces on November the 18th. He's going to tell you all about it. And finally today, we're off to Vietnam again for the latest from Morning Brew's Bureau Chief at Large. Of course, it's Neil Runciman. Join Neil on Facebook Live at 12.40.